because today is Monday, November 6th, 2017, and I would like to welcome you to this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and the Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Listeners, I hope you had a great week, and as always, the show is live every Monday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and of course, at LloydAThompson.com. And if you haven't done so, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss live errands in the show. And you can also catch replays of the show. And as always, listeners, if you have any questions that you would like to be aired, please send them through email to Lloyd at PartMyFresh.com or you can send them directly through the website. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Lloyd A. Thompson one word as always listeners we have a great show for you today we have our sports baseball guru joe Rivera, a columnist from the sporting news calling in to talk world series and to talk who he feel should get the mvp award in american league and national league and cy young award and all that good stuff with baseball the new york knicks somehow are possessed by a winning demon as they're winning games the New York Giants get massacred at MetLife Stadium and the New York Jets pull off a win to keep their playoff hopes alive against the Buffalo Bills. So as always, guys, let's buckle up, sit back and relax, and start spreading the news. Hey, yo, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, like we always do at this time, it's Monday. That means it's time to talk sports on the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike show. Let's go. As always, listeners, we got to find out where the Mad Mike is calling from and where his whereabouts are today. Yo, Mad Mike, where you calling from today, baby? Hey, Lloyd, I'm calling from the NFL uh, offices in in Manhattan. I'm trying to get some clarity on... uh, this Colin Kaepernick situation. Yeah, how crazy is that, man, Mike? You know, we, and speaking of football, you know, we had a disastrous, you know, ma- I called it a massacre in the intro at MetLife Stadium as the Giants just got abolished by the L.A. Rams and the Jets actually played a good game, you know, against the Buffalo Bills. And again, I'm looking good with my predictions as I did say the Jets we're going to split with the Buffalo Bills. And right now, New York teams are making me look good, bad, and indifferent. But I'm looking like a genius right now, man, Mike. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. They're, um, I mean, you also predicted they'd have six wins. So you're looking like a genius on, on two fronts, man. So let's see. Let's see what happens. Um, you were you were, you were a lot more optimistic than I was about the season, but I tell you, man, I, I watched this and and uh, I enjoy it. The now, nah, not to get too deep in, but uh, your New York Giants are not playing football, brother. Now speaking of New York Giants, that's what we'll start the show off with, as they just got destroyed by the L.A. Rams at MetLife Stadium by a score of fifty-one to seventeen. They had three turnovers in the first half, which were killers, Mad Mike. Eli Manning was 20 of 36 for 220 yards. He threw for two touchdowns. He had two overthrows on what should have been two long touchdown passes, and he continues to have problems with ball security. Yet another fumble on a sack. 
He also locked in on his targets on an ill-advised second quarter interception. Orleans Darkwood has 16 carries for 71 yards. He ran the ball well, as did rookie Wayne Goldman, who had nine rushes for 41 yards until he lost a, funnel, a fumble. Defensive tackle Aaron, Dodge, Aaron Donald from the, from the Rams, Matt Mike, he abused DJ Fluka, who in my opinion has been the best offensive lineman for the last couple games for the New York Giants. Evan Ingram had four receptions for 70 yards and one TD, and he continues to show that he's the real deal. And, but it was good to see Sterling Shepard back on the field, and he had five receptions for 70 yards. But that offensive line played very Poorly today, Matt Mike, as they allow Eli Manning to get knocked around and sacked all day yesterday. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a bad offensive line. We know that, but they also went up against one of the best defensive lines in football. Aaron Donalds is arguably the best defensive player in all of football, no matter what position it is. So, it, I, I, you know, uh, DJ Fluker has been the best offensive lineman, but it, you know, don't hold your head down. You know, don't head, hold your head down over, uh, you know, this battle with, with you know, Aaron Donald, uh, if you're DJ Fluker. Eli Manning, uh, he had an up-and-down day. Um, I won't completely blame him. He has an 80 QBR, um, you know, against that defense after being sacked five times and, you know, being pressured all day. Uh, you know, he did miss a few open throws. He rushed a lot. Um, uh, you know, you could question his pocket presence. But, you know, when you've been hit and pressured as much as Eli and sacked as much as Eli has all year, um, I think that it's fair for him to, you know, I, I think it's it's fair to expect that of him. You know, it, it's, it, it just is what it is. His internal clock is, is all messed up right now. Um, as far as the, the, the run game, it was nice to see the run game uh, average more than four and a half uh, yards per carry. That's a positive. So, you know, they, they might not have been doing their job in pass protection, but the offensive line at least did their job in, you know, run blocking. Well, I mean, you know, you have what you have in Eli Manning, and Eli Manning is a pure pocket passer. And if you're Jerry Reese and you know that you have a pure, a pure pocket passer, this goes back to all the previous shows that we done did, man, Mike, where we talked about how important it was to put out a great offensive line, not even a great offensive line, but a serviceable offensive line for Eli Manning to keep him upright so he can make his throws, and Jerry Reese totally didn't do that. He seemed to, you know, he totally ignored that that's what needed to be done with this team, and he decided to spend the money elsewhere. Now, most of the money that he spent and he don't want to take credit for, you know, for the, you know, or he wants to post the blame. I'm sorry. He wants to post the blame on it. And it's the defense. Now, where do I start, Mad Mike? Well, I'll tell you where I'll start. I'll start with this D giving up a 52-yard TD on the third and 33 on a pass that traveled two damn yards in the air, Mad Mike. That's disgraceful. The Rams were running free all day. Jared Goff, who was 14-22 for 311 yards and four TDs, 
Play free and easy. Running back Todd Gurley has 16 rushes for 59 yards with two touchdowns. And wide receiver Robert Woods have four receptions for 70 yards and two, tur- two touchdowns. They operated at a different speed. The defensive backfield was without suspended uh, cornerback Janoris Jenkins. And they were absolutely abysmal, Mad Mike. Yeah, well, for starters, uh, we I think we both can agree Ben McAdoo has lost the secondary, the respect of the secondary. Um, you know, Janaris Jenkins doesn't show up on Monday practice uh, following a bye week, uh, which is a little strange because you think that of all games he'd want to play against his former team, right? Um, the fact that he, he, you know, gets himself suspended uh, speaks to the lack of respect. But um, on that Robert Woods pass, you know, I, I can hear your anger. But I saw this happen a lot last year with Darrell Rivas. Uh, you know, uh, Robert Woods cuts across. He takes that two-yard pass and he cross, cuts across the middle of the field all the way to the other side of the field before turning it up. And if you guys all go back and, and watch that replay from yesterday, um, you'll clearly see that Eli Apple has a chance to make this play. He has a chance to make this play, you know, on multiple fronts. He, he can either run at him and make the tackle. He can follow him, drop, you, you know, dive at, at the feet, try to trip him up. He never once, never once makes an attempt to stop Robert Woods' momentum. He never tries to stop him from getting into the end zone. If you watch it, 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 it I think it's Landon Collins who tracks him all the way down um, when Eli Apple could have made that play. Right there to me, that, that I'm benching him. And then on top of that, you, you then have the, the, the communication breakdown, uh, you know, Eli Apple, where you allow Sammy Watkins to go over the top, you know, uh, Landon Collins is looking at for, looking at you to, to, to run with him. And Landon Collins is, is uh, you know, I guess you could say he's protecting the middle. But by the time you you release Sammy Watkins, he's already got Landon Collins turning around and beat by five steps. You, as a cornerback, you can't allow that to happen. So. I don't want to pick on, on Eli Apple because he, he was far from the, the, the biggest problem. But the, that right there, it goes to show you either this these guys are not being coached up on, on, in the secondary, um, which is questionable with Steve Spagnuolo but, uh, because he's so good with, with his defensive players. But th- there's some form of breakdown. Either they, they don't care for each other or they don't, just don't care for their coach to give the effort, man. I mean – 51 points, I think that's, that was tied for the fourth most points ever given up by a Giants defense. And it was the first time the Rams uh, beat the Giants in, in 16 years, man. They were still in St. Louis the last time they beat them. And that's, that's crazy. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, you know, you brought up Eli Apple, and I was going to point out the fact that it didn't even seem like he wanted no parts of making a tackle. And it wasn't like it was a tackle on a big bruising running back. It was a damn wide receiver. And he was... He was tiptoeing, you know, they call tiptoeing a term that's used by running backs. And I don't want to use the correct term that I really do, but I'm going to say kitty cat. And we all know what we use for the term kitty cat, what we call cats. That's exactly what he was doing when that ball carrier was coming towards him. He was acting like a cat. He was scared. He didn't want no parts of that tackle. You come up and make the damn tackle, and he didn't do that. And then what does that say about how much this team respects Ben McAdoo, Mad Mike, is yet another player. Another player that you're playing a boatload of money to decided that he didn't want to come. He didn't want to come. This dude has lost control of this team, Mad Mike.
He's lost control of this team, and the Giants need to do right by their fans, and they need to do right by this organization, and have a fire sell at the end of the season, and it needs to start with Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo. Now, the special teams was just as porous. Brad Wing had a, block, a, 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 a punt block in the fourth quarter, and that was it was brutal to watch. I mean, it, it was like nobody even blocked the dude that went to that, that blocked the punt. It was like they never, it was like the Giants never, never before practice punt protection. You know, Rojas, yeah, he nailed the 50 yard field goal, but then he missed on a 45 yard attempt. You know, it's not a good sign. Shane Marine had a 30-yard kickoff return in the first quarter, and, and, and Farrell Cooper ripped off a 30-yard punt return for the Rams. It was just like, yo, oh my gosh, man. Ridiculous. Well, I don't, I don't, you know me. And um, yeah, I, I kickers have to make the kicks, but I, I just had we had this conversation just last week. Um the Meadowlands was wet, it was rainy, uh, out on the East Coast. So, you know, I, for me, I, I think it's always a crapshoot when, when you're relying on kickers um, in, in the rain. Uh, once again, he's a kicker. He's a professional. He catches a check. Uh, means he should make the kick, right? So can't put it there. Um, as far as, as um, your special teams, yeah, Brad, Brad Wing can't shank the punt. Um, you did have some good <laughs> – you did have, have good uh, – uh, Return. So I guess that bumps up the grade for, for your special teams uh, all, all around. But it's it's um it's hard to watch at this point. And then and then it's not just hard to watch um, the game. It's hard to listen to, to Ben McAdoo and the players after. I mean, I don't know what his problem is with Eli Manning, but suggesting that that you're going to bench Eli Manning, you've already lost this You've already lost the locker room. So benching Eli Manning just cements that. There, there's no coming back from that. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you don't bench Eli Manning or say you're going to bench Eli Manning the same way you threw him under the bus weeks ago. That's why you, you as a as a first-time coach, like, this is the guy that replaced Tom Coughlin saying this. That's why you lost the, the, the locker room. You, you haven't done anything to win over respect. You know what I mean? So it's like, look at what Tom Coughlin did today, right? Tom, uh, uh, yesterday. Um, they, 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 he, Leonard Fournette violates team rules yesterday or Saturday, rather, I guess he missed a team photo on Saturday and they suspend him for Sunday's game. That's Tom Coughlin. He's sending a message right now. He's sending the same message that he wasn't allowed to send to Odell Beckham. The same message that Ben McAdoo either doesn't want to send or is not allowed to send. That's why you have anarchy right now. And I know you said they've got to start the fire cell. Well, you know, not for nothing, but you have to start the fire cell with Odell Beckham Jr. Because if he's going to do this, this same act next year, who cares if you, you bring in new people into the locker room? If he's going to do the same exact thing, he's just going to keep showing everybody it's okay to do this. It's okay not to respect your coaches. It's okay not to respect your teammates or the game. I don't know what else to tell you. A fire cell has to start with him. When your best player doesn't respect the rules and the game and everybody involved, then no one else will. Yeah, and, and, I, and again, that all comes from coaching. You know, you brought up a great point about how Tom Coughlin has a no-nonsense approach. And speaking of coaching, Ben McAdoo said, you know, he's disappointed 
and not embarrassed. Well, you know, he's in a minority there. What do you mean you're disappointed but not embarrassed? How the hell could you not be embarrassed? Your team just got destroyed. He's in a minority there, Mike. Mike. Coming off a of bye week, his team regressed, which is not easy. Considering the Giants were 1-6 coming to this game, his message is not getting through. Or it's the wrong message. You know, and Steve Spagnola has been able, unable to get this defense together. But, you know, it, he hasn't had much talent to really go around it this season. And this team has been a joke this year, man, Mike. A complete... Uh, I feel... Uh, they've been a joke. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, a... I feel bad for Steve Spagnola, though, man. Because, you see, he's going to be the face of a dysfunctional defense. But you got to ask yourself something. This is the same exact defense that was number one, two, was top three in the league last year. Same defense that carried this team to the playoffs last year. So I, I don't necessarily know it's him. I don't even necessarily know that it's the player. I think the players... Uh, the defensive side of the ball, I think those guys don't respect the coach. When you lose some of those close games and that coach comes and blames his defense instead of blaming his offense, he's an offensive coach. He's going to he's gonna pamper his offense. He's going to protect his offense. He's going to be a parent to his offense. And, and he's going to throw the defense. The defense is the ugly stepchild. You know what I mean? That, that's what the defense is to him. It's the ugly stepchild that I can blame for everything. And, and they've shut him out. They've just shut down. And, and, and honestly, it's, it's Steve Spagnuolo's probably going to lose his job. And who knows if he gets another one after this. Well, going into this year, the Giants don't have any linebackers. Not any linebackers you could rave about. B.J. Goodson has done a good job, but he's been hurt. So, you know, you might as well avoid him out, but outside of, outside of him, they don't have any. I can't even remember when the last time the Giants had a linebacker that had over 100 tackles in the season. The D-line is not as strong as it was, and neither is the secondary. But I'm sick of talking about the Giants. Let's move on to the New York Jets, who had their premier performance of the season. And week nine, Matt Mike, with a 34-21 thrashing of the Buffalo Bills. So they look really good. Now, with their season on the line, the Jets came through with their finest performance, you know, Thursday night against Buffalo at MetLife Stadium. You know, Gang Green parlayed two touchdown passes from Josh McCown, and their, their defense was suffocating to crush the Bills. You know, don't let the final score fool you. The Bills scored a pair of touchdowns and garbage time in the fourth quarter. But the Jets totally dominated this contest from start to finish, Matt Mike. Now, the New York Jets are now 4-5, and five, while Buffalo dropped to 5-3. and three. Now, the, the Jets, they could have ill-afforded a loss in, this, in the AFC, you know, in this game. Because a defeat would have ended any playoff aspirations that this team might have had. So, you know, they entered the contest at three, as, as three-and-a-half-point underdogs. You know, so... They played a solid performance, and they still got a shot to make the playoffs, Matt Mike. Yeah, you 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 hit um, the nail on the head right there. Uh, a loss would have ended any playoff aspirations this team had, and, and the fact that they came out and played their best game. And like you said, you know, I know the score doesn't doesn't uh, speak to it because of those those garbage time touchdowns for Buffalo. 
the fact that this team came out and played the way it did and absolutely dominated uh, tells you what they think. They think that they're a playoff team. They, 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 and at worst, they think that they should be in a playoff hunt just by coming out and, and, and solidifying that. Um, they also saved their season, in my opinion, because talking about a team that already had three losses in the division, um, that loss, if they would have lost to Buffalo Thursday night, that would have may put them at one and four. That would have just ended all tiebreakers. Uh, hopefully they can beat the Patriots in their second meeting and, and go to 500 in the division. Um, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I, I couldn't be more excited for this team. This team is four and five. I couldn't be more excited uh, because it, everyone is showing growth. You, you know, when you look at, at the entire defense, Darren Lee, you know, he's been getting better. And, and you know, the, the rookies, Adams and May are getting better. And, and you know, even on the offensive side of the ball, you know, McGuire looks like he has a little bit, you, you know, he, he has something to offer at running back. The wide receivers, um, you know, Robbie Anderson is, is doing what he's got to do. Or Darius Stewart, every time he gets, gets an opportunity, uh, catches the ball. Um, you know, he was returning kicks. It's, it's, it's been, it's been a positive all around, man. Um, you know, Josh McCown had a really good game, uh, solid game. And, um, I hope they keep playing this way, man. It's, it's exciting. It's exciting football. I love to see Chris Canty lose his Bentley. Now, believe it or not, McCown entered the game, Matt Mike. Get this. He entered the game in second place in completion percentage in the NFL, Matt Mike. He was, he, you know, he was 14 to 20 for 140 yards and a touchdown. He didn't turn the ball over. You know, as you said, Robbie Anderson had a great game. He had four receptions for 48 yards. You know, and a 38-year-old McCown even added a 10-yard scramble for his touchdown. And there's that mobility that I talk about that most that just about every quarterback in the NFL has, except for Eli Manning. But the, you know the big story of this game was that the Jets rediscovered they rediscovered their ground game. Matt Mike, they rolled up 194 yards on the ground, and Matt Forte looked really good. He had a season high of 77 yards and a pair of touchdowns, and Bilal Powell. He, he had another solid game. You know, he had 74 yards on non-carries. So they ran the yeah. ball really well. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was shocked by it. And I wasn't shocked with the results um, because I, you, you kind of had the feeling that, that they were due. Um, I, was, I was more shocked by the fact that, one, I thought Forte would, would get some form of a punishment for calling out the coaching staff. You know, um, when we got off the air on Monday, um, he basically, you, you know, just, you know, they had the wrong game plan and he sounded sour. And, um, you know, I, I kind of expected something from Todd Bowles, who said he was just speaking out of frustration. But, you know, that, that normally doesn't uh, sit well in any locker room with any coach. Right. So I, I didn't expect him to get as many as many touches. I didn't expect them to commit to the run specifically because wouldn't wouldn't that be the coaching staff acknowledging that they were wrong on uh, on last Sunday and they cost the Jets a win and most coaches won't do that so um the fact that they did it showed me a little something about Todd Bowles and his staff you know uh, being accountable uh for their mistakes great to see man well if the Jets can follow this blueprint the rest of the way Mad Mike they'll be very they'll be a very difficult team to deal with over the final seven games of the season you know, so the defense played really well. They were spectacular. 
You know, that's the one word that summed them up. Spectacular. Don't, again, you know, let's, let's not let the final score fool you because, like you said, there were two touchdowns that they, you know, that were given up in garbage time. But in this person. defense, they crushed the Buffalo Bills, and it's as simple as that. Crushed them. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they came away with, with, you know, seven sacks. You know, so and let's that, not forget that. that they forced three, three. Um, um, they fought. They had three fumbles. They forced three turnovers on fumbles. No, you're right. But but remember, coming going into Thursday night's game, um, the defensive line only had one sack on the season, and they came out of that game. Every single lineman had a sack. That that talk about you know sending a message. Uh, Moe had a sack. Leonard had a sack. Uh, Coney Ely had a sack. It was great to see it, man. Um, great to see it. And another one, I, I, I you know, I know McCagnan got a lot of slack. People said this is the worst. Uh, this was the worst roster they had seen in a decade in, in all the NFL. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't. People overlooked his trades. You know, this guy traded Calvin Pryor for Demario Davis. Demario Davis has made people forget that that David Harris um was a jet? I mean, go look at their numbers. Uh, Demario Davis is is has like quadrupled the production as David Harris this season. Um, so you know, when you look at things like that, McCagnan made the right decision, right? He 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 got faster, he got younger. Um, he saw the writing on the wall, uh, you know, ahead. So let's give him a little credit too in in this because there was more talent on this team than he than than, than uh, people thought. Well, the Jets got a very winnable game uh, this coming week as they play the Tampa Bay Bucks, And, you know, the Giants have a game that you would think they should win as they play the 49ers. Now, in a, in a way, I'm, I'm hoping that the Giants actually win this game because you don't want them to have to pick before San Francisco so they could just make a terrible pick. But San Francisco did trade uh, for Garoppolo from... Uh, the New England Patriots, so they may have solved their quarterback issues, so that would eliminate them from drafting a quarterback, so maybe the Giants do need to lose this damn game, so, you know, so they can pick ahead of San Francisco, who may just take Saquon Barkley, but real quick, before we move on to the New York Knicks, we're going to round up week nine scores in NFL, the Jets defeated the Bills 34-21, to the Saints defeated the Buccaneers 30 to 10 as they continue to roll. The Panthers beat the Falcons 20 to 17. The Rams obliterated the Giants 51 to 17. The Tennessee Titans defeated the Ravens 23 to 20. The Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Bengals 23 to 7. The Eagles continue to roll as they beat the Broncos 51 to 23. The Colts beat the Texans as the Texans got a huge, you know, Deshaun Jack um Watson not being there is hurting them. They lost two games in a row. They lost to the Colts 20-14. The Redskins beat the Seahawks 17-14. As the Seahawks, I don't know, you would think they would be much better than what they are, but they're struggling. The Cardinals defeated the 49ers 20-10. The Cowboys defeated the Chiefs 28-17. And the game later on tonight are the Packers versus the Lions. But Mad Mike we're going to move on to the New York Knicks, who seem to who seem to be having uh, a demon, a winning demon that I'm that they've been possessed by. I, I consider it. I consider these guys to be possessed by a demon, and they're winning basketball games. But I'm not falling for the okie doke. 
So I'm going to let you start off as they had a win, a big win, against the Indiana Pacers yesterday, Mad Mike, where they were trailing by 19 points, I believe it is, in the third quarter, and they came back and won that game by seven. Yeah, man, first off, uh, you're cheating yourself out of some amazing basketball. That's oh, what no, I'm going to tell not, you. Listen, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm watching it. I'm watching it, and I, and I give credit where credit is due. They're playing better basketball than I would have ever given them credit for. I think this might have been Frank Nittalakina's, you know, breakout game. I'm hoping this is breakout game. But what I'm saying is I'm not setting myself up for failure. Now, I hope this team throws a big mud pie in my face. I hope you say, Lloyd, what do you think about this team now? And I hope the listeners say, Lloyd, what do you think about this team now? But I'm still not falling for the okie doke. I was at the game the other night where they got blown out by the Houston Rockets. And granted, the Houston Rockets are a great team. And they didn't have Chris Paul. But I sat there and I got up and I walked out. In the third quarter, at the end of the third quarter, because they was losing by 30 damn points. And I kid you not, for the first time that I've ever set foot in that building, I sat and watched the game with no damn expression on my face the entire damn game. I didn't get upset when they made a mistake, and I didn't clap when they did good. But they, they, you know, they did really good against the Indiana Pacers, who, mind you, beat the Cleveland Cavs. So you can give your thoughts on them because you've been kind of, you know, praising them and been behind this team from day one, Matt, Mike? Well, well, yeah. <laughs> Before I touch on the Indiana game, I'll say this. They, they, they showed me, first, they, they ended the week, they ended last week 3-1, right? They, they, they showed me a couple things. One, they, they were able to play and beat Denver on a back-to-back, which is something that the Knicks did not do last year. They they, they played in, in Cleveland on Sunday night, and then they beat Denver on Monday night in New York. Uh, that showed me a little bit of grit, some about them. They did lose to, to Houston, and, and it wasn't close, but Houston right now is, is, is the bad matchup for them. Houston is the kind of, uh, of team that um, – Houston's not going to play defense, right? They don't care. Houston wants to get up and down the court. And what Houston wants to do is is make you take a lot of bad shots, a lot of quick shots um, outside of your, your normal offensive rhythm. And I, I, I think that game was more on Jeff Hornacek, man. I think Jeff Hornacek um, kept telling him, push, push, push. And he fell into the same trap that a lot of teams do. You know, the, the if you ever, and I'm getting off topic, but if you ever look at, at why Pop and Steve Kerr, to an extent, is so much so good against uh, Mike D'Antoni. It's because they, they slow the game down a little bit. Uh, uh, Pop slows the game down, and he plays more efficient. So uh, uh, D'Antoni teams miss a lot of shots. But because they force you to shoot so many more, they get a lot more attempts. The reason that they stink against Golden State is because Golden State is more efficient. They can play up, uh, you know, fast pace and still shoot 50%. So the Knicks are not on that level yet. They, they can't slow the game down and play as efficient as San, San Antonio does. And they can't speed the game up and play as efficient in, in an up-tempo style as Golden State. So Houston is this kind of team that's going to beat the Knicks nine and a half times out of ten. Um, but they did show me something. They bounced back on Friday night, and they played a great game against Phoenix, a game they're supposed to win, but, you, you know, they sure as hell did win. And then they erased a 19-point lead 
and uh, uh, you know in the third quarter and come back and beat you know Indiana Indiana Pacers last night. So they showed you a little bit of everything. They showed you that they can win uh, on um, on back to back nights. They showed you on Friday night that they can bounce back from a really bad loss um, against Houston. And and tonight they showed you that they can come from from double digits down um, in the fourth quarter and win a game. So I don't know what else you want to see from this team. Listen, what I want to see is consistency. I'm still not enamored with their perimeter defense. I still think that this team gives up a lot of open three-point shots. I still think that their guards don't play great defensively. Tim Hardaway Jr. gets blown past by a lot, and so does Courtney Lee. Now, Frank Nittalikina came into the game yesterday, and he did a great job at defending and I'm sorry, let me add Jared Jackson. Any guard outside of Frank Nittalikina has poor defense. So until they start shoring that up and they start playing better perimeter defense, I need this. that's what I need to see. I need to see things like that. But more importantly, I need to see consistency from this team. Now, they've been playing well. They've been getting the, they've been getting the job done. But I'm still not seeing consistency from this team just yet. So until I see that and until I see better defense, perimeter defense, and better defense from their guard play, better rotation, these are still things that they're doing poorly. The one thing that they are doing better is that they're not turning the ball over as much. And I was saying before, you can't turn the ball over 20-plus times and win basketball games. That's not going to work. And they haven't been doing that and that's to me that's been helping them win basketball games yeah you're right and and, and I think it starts with Jared Jack um taking over the offense um he, he's just a smarter ball player he brings a lot more energy in my opinion than Ramon Sessions um it's it's uh, so I think it starts there. I think he's also a better mentor for for Frank Nelikina. Um, You know, I, from from a standpoint of uh, you know, Jared Jack's older now, so you know, unfortunately for him, he doesn't have the the the, the quickness to stay with some of these guards anymore. Um, he still brings the the energy and the intensity, and that's why I think that that he's a perfect guy to to mentor Frank right now because um, Frank Frank is fine. You, you know, you you saw it last night frank is fine playing defense you saw it on wednesday when when you know he had some some really good spurts against james harden so it's just a matter of, of fine-tuning that teaching them how to bring it um you know every time on a court without you know i guess uh, uh without wasting energy you, you, you know what i mean like uh no wasted movements just just be on on the ball when he came in last night um he showed me something darren collinson there, there was no more dribble penetration it was just like you saw um, Indiana just kept um, pick bringing a big man out to pick, to pick, to pick. And they, they, that's they, this is where I was telling you the new age defender, right? Frank Nilekina has a 7-3 wingspan, right? So if you bring the, the center out to defend him, you know, to pick him off, if you think you're going to get a pick and roll with a center on, on the point guard, he's not your normal point guard. Sabonis, yeah, what does Sabonis have? A 7-3 wingspan? So what do you have on him? Really two inches when it comes time to play defense with his long arms? So he's showing you that that he's, he's already showing you the benefits of that draft pick, in my opinion. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I do think that he's the best point guard on the Knicks roster. And, you know, again, the only way we'll, you know, the only way he's going to get better is Hornacek has to let him play, and he let him play the entire fourth quarter. And that was a great learning experience for him. A really big learning experience for him. 
Like I said again, hopefully I get the mud pie on my face and the Knicks continue to play well, but I need to see consistency from this team in those areas that I mentioned before. We're gonna take a quick commercial break, listeners, and be right back with more of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show as our baseball guru, Joe Rivera, from the Sporting News, is gonna talk World Series baseball, MVP awards, and some more baseball stuff. So sit tight, we'll be back with more of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. What's going on, everybody? Thank you very much for tuning in to the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Show. If you don't already know, brand new episodes drop every single Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All you got to do is head over to LloydAThompson.com, and that's where you can find your links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, as well as the contact button where you can submit your questions. If you want to hit them directly on email, you can also do so, Lloyd at PartOfMyFresh.com. Send your questions in so they can be answered on a future show. Once again, brand new episodes drop every Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just make sure you subscribe and you won't miss a damn thing. All right, let's get back to the guys. Lloyd and Mad Mike are joined by Joe Rivera from the Sporting News. Let's go. Welcome back to the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. We have our very own baseball guru, Joe Rivera, columnist from the Sporting News, joining us today. Hey, Joe, thanks for calling in. Thanks for spending time with us and our listeners. How you feeling today, brother? Feeling well, feeling well, Lloyd. How are you? I'm hanging in there, no complaints. So there was a World Series being played, and I must add, you know, to a sad note, that me, you, and the Mad Mike were all incorrect on our predictions as to who was going to win the World Series. So just give the listeners your take on the World Series that was played, which was a good one, by the way, between the Houston Astros and the L.A. Dodgers. Yeah, it was good. Uh, listen, heading into it, it was it was tough to pick because both teams are so deep. Um, it's it's they were so evenly matched up and down. They have good young players. What it came down to was the Dodgers couldn't hit, and honestly, they couldn't make adjustments, especially when you look at Cody Bellinger and Corey Seager. I mean, you would never have to throw them a pitch other than a down and in curveball, and they would swing at it every time. And I came up big in big spots, and and that that honestly, I think that might have proved to be the difference in the series because Bellinger couldn't get going, and then neither could Seager. Now we, you know, you said the key word hitting, which is what the Yankees didn't do either. But there were some crazy games. I was also surprised at how how poorly the bullpens pitched in some of the games as well, Joe. Yeah, I think you know, looking at Houston's bullpen, they were shaky at times in the ALCS. Uh, they really didn't have that one guy that really scared you. I mean, Ken Giles was not that great in the postseason, even though he had a, a fairly good regular season. And it was the cast of characters that, again, they didn't really, there were some that had stuff, but they didn't really put the fear of God into you with the lineup. And, you know, things probably would have been different if Houston ended up pulling the trigger on, on Zach Britton at the trade deadline. It would have been a, it would have been different. I mean, obviously they still came out with the with the win in the World Series, but yeah, both bullpens didn't really inspire you. Kenley Jansen didn't come up that big, uh, especially when you look at his overall playoff stats. You really didn't have a good run. Well, so, yeah, uh, speaking of speaking of Kenley Jansen, how much of his struggles do you contribute to his misuse by Dave Roberts? I mean, he was asked on multiple occasions to get a six-out save, which he's only had one six-out save in his entire career going into the World Series. 
Yeah, listen, and, and that's an overarching theme because Dave Roberts just did not have a good series, right? Uh, he really, you know, for how good of a manager he is, you know, low-respected baseball guy, all these things, but you look at some of the moves he made in the World Series and it just kind of left you scratching your head, uh, especially in, like, Game 7 with Brandon Morrow. You know, you only get him for, what, a third of an inning, and I understand he's probably tired, too, but he's probably your best guy out of the pen, and if you can use him for more than one out, two outs, then you got to do it. But, yeah, I mean, you hate to put guys in those positions where they're not comfortable. Again, like you mentioned, Mike, Kenley Jansen only had one six-out appearance, and that was, I think, last year's NLCS. Uh, yeah, you can't it's, – it's tough because you need, to, you need these guys' arms, and you need to put them in spots they're not necessarily comfortable in. But it's such a crapshoot. It's such a gamble when you put them in that spot. You never know what you're going to get. Now, what's your thoughts on you, Darvis? Because he pulled the stinker in both his his uh, starts, and he's actually a free agent at the end of the season. Do you think he returns to L.A., or do you think he might go elsewhere? And do you think? Because I'm sure he's looking to get a pretty big contract. Do you think this might have hurt his chances on making the big bucks next year? Yeah, I think I think his stock dropped a little bit. It's still, I think it's too early to say because we've seen it in years past. Once December rolls around, everybody forgets about what happened in October, and guys make big bucks. And I think Darvish is one of those guys. I mean, you look at his stuff; it's he's got tremendous stuff, but there's two big knots against him. It's his playoff performance this year, where you know that Game Seven was not good, and his health. He's had health and injury problems. He's had problems tipping pitches too, and there was some some conspiracy theories that said maybe he was tipping his pitches in Game Seven. Who knows? You know, I'm I'm not that baseball smart to to pick up that kind of thing. But you know, I think his stock was definitely hurt a little bit. But being a starting pitcher, being you know 30, I think he's 31 years old now, that'll help him. But I'm not sure if he's going to be getting you know mid hundred million dollars, uh, mid hundred million dollar deal. I, I don't see that happening. Now, Joe, the other the other uh, issue I, I've heard with you, Darvis, especially from Dodger fans, is he came from the Texas Rangers, where um, you know the Houston Astros have have seen him often. And the the one thing that you usually have going in your favor in the World Series is most of the teams are unfamiliar with each other, so there's kind of a filling out period where where. I guess um, there wouldn't be a filling out period when it came to Darvish pitching. Do you think Dave Roberts should have started uh, Clayton Kershaw in Game Six? I mean, Game Seven. You know, it's it's an interesting question because if Kershaw goes out there and he gets bombed, then you're wondering why you're throwing him out there on short rest, right? Uh, but it's, you always play you always play the game where oh well, you know it's it's second guessing hindsight's always twenty twenty. Uh, do I think they should have started Clayton Kershaw? I think probably should have because. He's your guy. He pitched well in that game. He's your horse. He's been your ace. You know, he's all these things. Even with a questionable, you know, postseason resume, uh, I understand wanting to go with the fresher pitcher. You know, pitching at home, all these things. But yeah, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I think it, Roberts probably should have run with Kershaw at moments' notice if he started struggling or if he showed he didn't have it. Then he would have to go with uh, Darvish, but. Yeah, it's to say, but I think he should probably should have went with Kershaw. Yeah, it was weird that he left him in there for as long as he did. And then, yeah. you, know, you know, with it being game seven, that he didn't yank him really quick. I mean, you know, you have no other game after that to play. 
Yeah, and you know what? And we saw that before in the series. Uh, that bullpen was fatigued, right? And I forget which game it was, but Brent uh, Morrow was absolutely, he was exhausted and he had absolutely nothing. It was his third day pitching in a row. Uh, he just had nothing and he was getting bombed. He was getting hit left and right. And you got to wonder what's Roberts doing leaving him out there, right? He's, he's got to go get his man. First sign of trouble for tomorrow. He shows he doesn't have it. If he's, he's clearly fatigued, you have to get someone up and you have to get him up and hot quick. Uh, and then we saw that a few times in the series with Roberts. I, I don't know if it's necessarily a lack of feel for his bullpen, for his pitchers, or it's just, listen, these guys are all tired, not really knowing where to go, how to, how to remedy the situation. It's tough to say, but yeah, it's, it's what Roberts did then and, and what he did in the, in the World Series. It's questionable, but uh, I think a lot of it, too, is a byproduct of fatigue with his pitchers. Do you, do you think that uh, he, he could have avoided some of that fatigue by sticking with Rich Hill? Um, and on top of that, to piggyback, do you think he's lost a little bit of uh, Rich Hill's trust, uh, trust uh, being, you know, being that he, he pulled him twice, uh, where he was pretty much in control of the game? I know in game six it seemed like a big spot, but considering that, uh, you know, he kind of burnt out his pen early and then needed to use them early in game seven, it, you know, uh, I guess hindsight 2020 yet again. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's so hard to say because Hillen in game six, that was such a big spot, right? Like, you don't want to see him lose it right away, but you also need to realize what, what's going on in your pen. And I understand in the World Series and the playoffs, it's always about I have to win this game and I'll worry about tomorrow later. But, you know, at times in the game, you have to realize what you got, right? And Hill clearly was disappointed, and he thought he had he had the batter, and when he was pulled, so yeah, I think there's a, there's a little bit of trust issues there potentially that could be brewing. It's really hard to say, you know. Those those kind of things don't really show themselves until the next season. Uh, it's tough to say now, but again, you can't really. Roberts didn't have a great series. A lot of it was misuse of the pen, not realizing what guys were tired, not you know leaving guys in too long. It was a really rough series for him. I think it was, you know, I don't want to say it was luck that it got to seven, but there were certain spots where they could have been blown out in the series earlier. Uh, and because Houston had some guys struggling too uh, at times, namely Josh Reddick, who was pretty, really bad uh, this postseason, you know, uh, it's tough to say. But, yeah, I think I think there might be some trust things there. I think Roberts was playing the book a little too hard, and I think it came back to bite him big time. Now, you know, we have two teams, the Dodgers, who have some young guys and some veterans, and Houston has the majority of their team, you know, a, a bunch of young guys, and we know that baseball is one of the hardest things to go back-to-back -back in, you know, being in it's 162 games and things like that. Do you think that the Houston Astros, with them being, you know, with them having a team that they have and a young, you know, quarter they have, do you think they have a really good chance of repeating as World Series champions next year? They got to do something about the bullpen. That's for sure. And uh, I, I mean, the opportunity is there for them. But you're also seeing the American League get so much better around them. Uh, you know, maybe the division won't challenge them as much. But you're looking at, you know, the Yankees are up and coming. Everybody's talking about the Yankees. We're going to see what the Red Sox are under Alex Cora next year, and everybody's high on Alex Cora. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure what he is as a manager yet. But if he can get those guys to respond, I'm like, what, what? The, the lack of response that they had with uh, John Farrell there, we're going to see what they are. 
Uh, you're going to see the Indians. I think the Indians are still in it next year. I mean, they're, they're young too, and they have good pitching. So it's it's going to be hard for them. I think. I think they definitely need to shore up the bullpen, whether that's going out and seeing if they can get a Zach Britton type or another one of these relievers that are out on the market. Uh, it's going to be really big for them. I think they can, but it's going to be a lot harder to do next year. Now, speaking of the market, Houston, you know, is not known for a team to open up their checkbook or their wallets and spend money. Do you think now that they actually won the World Series that they might be, you know, that that might be a different thing that they start to do moving forward? Or do you think they're going to still continue to be the way that they are as far as going after free agents and stuff like that or keeping their own players for that matter? You know, I, it's, it's interesting because everybody kind of looked at Houston in years past. You're talking about like the late 2000s and you're like, well, well this is a small market team. But then that couldn't be further from the truth. Houston is the fourth biggest market in the country behind L.A., Chicago and New York. So it's not like they don't have money to spend, and they're definitely not qualified under MLB laws as a small market team. So I think the way that they were doing it in the beginning where everybody was like, why are they not spending money? It was, it was a smart move at the end of the day because they didn't lock themselves into really bad contracts. You know, 10 years, you're looking at a pool host type deal. They didn't uh, sign any guys that could, you know, disrupt the chemistry or block their young players from coming up, which was smart. I think if the right guy opens up for them, um, whether it, you know they got to look at free agent market this year, which isn't it isn't big, especially when it comes to pitching. Right, I think they probably need the most help um, bullpen or, or starting pitching, to be honest with you. But yeah, I, I think they're going to spend a little bit more money, but I don't think you're going to see them spend money unnecessarily um, and lock themselves into big contracts. I just don't think that's what Houston, what Houston's mo is. Do you think uh, the, the Astros would consider bringing in a guy like Zach Ritten? I know the Orioles are reluctant to trade him and Manny Machado, uh, but I, I don't think they can go, you know, you can't lose those guys for nothing. And while Houston would, would they be reluctant to trade top prospects for a guy that they might only have for one year? Well, when you consider, when you look at them trading Teoscar Hernandez for Francisco Liriano, and everybody was wondering, you know, what the hell are they doing, right? Uh, and Teoscar Hernandez was one of their top prospects. And you're and you're trading for, listen, it's Francisco Liriano at the end of the day. And I understand you're using him as a lefty specialist out of the pen. That's that's a lot to give up for a lefty specialist, you know. Um, you know, a name that's been bounced around a lot for trade uh, trade trade talk was Derek Fisher, but I think he's going to find a spot in the in the outfield next year with you know Beltran's future uncertain. Uh, yeah, I think they have to go out and get a guy like Britton. It's going to cost prospects. But listen, when you have the core of players that a team like Houston has and you're ready to win now, you really shouldn't concern yourself with giving up prospects because they have young players that are playing now and they're going to be there for the next five, ten years. That's more than enough time to develop new guys, right? So I think... They're going to have to, and it always hurts, but I think prospect love sometimes can really bite you in the butt. But if it means getting a guy like Britton back, even if it's for a year, I think it's it's totally worth it. Now, you know, obviously, you know, we have, you know, the MVP award, the Cy Young award, the Rookie of the Year award for both the American League and National League uh, to be named and Gold Glove Award uh, winners as well. We just want to get your take. Um, on AL MVP, Rookie of the Year, and Cy Young Award, uh, who you would pick 
for those awards and we'll choose our guys also and you know give a brief reason as to why you chose that particular player all right so mvp and i've and i've mentioned this on the show before and i'm, I'm very open with it it's got to be aaron judge and the reason why he's got better numbers than jose altuve who's probably going to win it all around but because of what happened with the hurricane in houston because of them winning the world, because of Houston winning the World Series, being as good as they were all year, that narrative just takes over. And I think if you switch Aaron Judge's first and second halves, so if he had a terrible first half, but an absolutely monster second half, people are talking about him as the MVP right now. And I, I just think when you look at his numbers, he's got a better uh Fangraphs more than Altuve does. He's got better numbers, you know, better home runs, uh, more runs scored, more RBI, all these things better than than Altuve. But because Altuve is is you know the little guy, I think his height definitely plays into it um, on this juggernaut of a team that he's going to end up winning it. Rookie of the year, it's going to be Judge. It's not even going to be close. You're probably talking unanimous. Um, everybody was, you know, some guys were trying to get cute with Andrew Benintendi. In the second half, but I just, that's not happening. I'm sorry. There's, there's, he put up historic numbers this year as a rookie or just as a regular, you know, uh, a veteran player. And Cy Young, it's tough. I, I mean, it's probably going to be Kluber. I think some people can make a case for Chris Sale, especially some guys that look at the entire season as a whole. I know Chris Sale, you know, he pitched well in the second half, not as good as his first half, but when you look at what Kluber did this year, um, especially his second half numbers, you know, he had a stretch where he was absolutely unbelievable. I think it's going to be him, but I think it's going to be a little bit closer than, than people, uh, people expect it to be. Now I'm going to go Matt, Mike, and I'm going to agree with Joe as far as MVP, which I feel, you know, Aaron judge to win it. Although I agree with him again, that I just have an odd feeling that Altuve is going to end up winning the MVP award as I really can't see baseball giving Aaron Judge, which he deservingly so, the MVP and Rookie of the Year award. And speaking Rookie of the Year, he'll, he'll earn my Rookie of the Year award as well. And I agree also with Kluber. I think Sell's uh, performance in the playoffs is going to hurt him, even though that's not supposed to take into account, um, you know, what the regular season means. But, you know, Joe, just real quick, do, do voters, even though they're not supposed to, do voters actually take into account the players' performance, those that make the playoffs? Do they take that into the account as well? Or would you say they completely ignore that and just focus on the regular season, you know, their regular season performances? You know, and, and this is this is kind of the same argument that, that goes for the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, right? Where, you know, you kind of look at a guy's postseason numbers, but you can't punish a guy for not having great postseason numbers, but he's only been to the postseason twice in his career. And then there are other guys that are like, oh, well, he has great postseason numbers, but he's been there 15 times. I think at the end of the day, each voter is an individual. I know that's, you know, it's, it sounds cheesy and everybody's going to vote on their own merits. They're going to, I think there are definitely some guys that are going to look at the playoffs and be like, oh, well, this guy clearly wasn't the MVP or the Cy Young. And other guys are going to look at the playoffs and, and, you know, they just completely ignore it and vote only on regular season uh, merits. But. Yeah, I think everybody's different. For me personally, if, if it's a regular season award, I'm not voting for anything in the playoffs. Because again, you, you can't punish a guy um, for 24 other guys not being able to help him make the playoffs. 
uh, it's it's a, you know it takes a team to get there, and the same it's the same way the other way around. You can't you can't uh, really award a guy if he's a great player on a great team for making the playoffs. Uh, so it's it, it's tough, but I I wouldn't vote based on what you, what you see in the playoffs. I just don't think that's uh it's not really fair. Uh, all right, now Matt, Mike, who who are your uh, who are your players that you would vote for those same awards? Um, like you guys, I would give Aaron Judge both MVP and I'd give him the Rookie of the Year. Um, I hear the argument that, you know, he'll win one award and, and you know, we'll give it to Altuve and it's somehow justified. But I saw Derek Jeter once lose an MVP award to Rookie of the Year and MVP Ichiro. I saw him, you know... I saw it happen with Cy Young, Justin Berlander, MVP Justin Berlander. So it, it's not something that's, that uh, has never happened in the past. I'd give him both awards. Uh, historic season. I mean, he broke records, uh, Yankee records and Major League Baseball records. He deserves both. Uh, the Yankees wouldn't be in the conversation without him. That's a fact. Uh, and I think we can argue that Houston, maybe, maybe not championship caliber, but they would be... Uh, probably the western uh you know the the winner in the west anyway without him uh cy young i gotta go Corey kluber i understand it's a full season award i just think that chris dale's second half was 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 much worse than his first half uh he faded he had a lot more games where you know a lot less quality starts down the stretch than Corey kluber uh indians went on a historic run texas staff was historic and you know i think it's just all kluber at, at, you know i don't even think it's going to be that close uh, well hopefully we're actually accurate with our predicaments and now moving on to the national league joe who are your players uh for the awards in the national league oh man it's 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 so tough to say i, I think if you're looking at mvp um it's it's, it's toss up for me between Paul Goldschmidt and Charlie Blackman. You know, I thought if you're going to give it to a Rocky at first, it was going to be Arenado. But Arenado's second half wasn't as good as his first. Charlie Blackman just has better numbers overall. And his park-adjusted numbers are overall are much better than Arenado's are. So I think he probably wins MVP. If not him, it's definitely going to be Goldschmidt. I mean, this is this guy is, is a top five player in baseball, no questions asked. And he gets absolutely no love because he plays in Arizona. Um, and I, I just don't think it's fair. You know, as far as Cy Young goes, it's 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 so t- it's really tough to say. I mean, if, you, if you're looking at a guy like Keuchel, but you can't really because he was hurt. Justin Verlander obviously didn't pitch enough, pitching only there for, for a month. Um, you could give it to Clayton Kershaw because that's just the default. But I, I think it's probably going to be Scherzer again. Uh, I just think he's, he's too good. He had too good of a year. He was lights out at the beginning of the year. And there's no one else in the National League that really, really stands out to me. And rookie of the year, honestly, it's it's the same thing. I, I mean, I had, I think my early, my prediction before the year was, I'm going to say it was Dansby Swanson, but he was no, no doubt about it. Swanson was terrible. Uh, Keon Broxton was up there. Uh, Hunter Renfro was up there. I, I don't really have a clear cut NL rookie of the year. I got to look at the numbers closer. Uh, but yeah, as far as someone goes, I think it's going to be Scherzer again and MVP. It's, it's a toss up, but I think Blackman takes it over Goldschmidt. Now I'm going to give a little twist to this as my MVP award. Uh, I'm actually going to uh, throw out Giancarlo Stanton's name. Um, I think, you know, his 
you know, his home run tear, the second half of the season, might do enough to get him that award. And oddly enough, voters, you know, sometimes players that you think shouldn't get it, actually get it. And, you know, I think it's, you know, it's between him and Goldschmidt. But uh, Goldsmith, to me, is more deserving. But for some reason, I have a feeling uh, Giancarlo Stanton is actually going to win that award. And my Cy Young award uh, will go to Scherzer, although, you know, Kane Crenshaw, Crenshaw, if I'm saying his name correctly, um, you know, he pitched well, but Scherzer had a really good season this year. And the Nationals had a really good overall regular season. They continue to craft the bed in the playoffs. And uh, my Rookie of the Year award, um, Joe, help me out, and I don't know if he's actually a rookie. The kid from the Dodgers? Yeah, Bellinger, you know, Bellinger's going to win it. But again, Bellinger had a very, very good first half. And the second half was not as good, especially when you consider how much he, he slowed down in the second half. But I think, Bell, and I think one quick thing on Bellinger, I think you look at defensively how good he is. Um, not just at first base, but out in left field too. I mean, they were sticking him out in left, and he played really well. But again, it's—I think it's him. But it's not like he had this like historic season where where he's like a no doubt slam dunk guy. Especially when you look at some other numbers that these guys have. Yeah, it was just that you know his name was continuously brought up over and over again, you know, and it seems like the golden child. So, you know, again, I just have this odd thing with voters and, you know, how they go about voting for, you know, who earns or wins these awards. And I just have a feeling that he's going to win it, you know, despite the facts that you just brought up. Yeah, I don't think it's unfair. I mean, he'll probably win it, but he, again, and it might be unfair because of where he plays and, you know, with the Dodgers and all that, but it's looking at the way he bursts on the scene. I get all that. But again, his second half wasn't that great. And maybe it's unfair, but looking at his playoffs, he just didn't make the adjustments. And you don't want to call him a one-trick pony because he definitely wasn't. But there were some question marks there um, in the second half. But yeah, I think he does win it. But again, when you look at his numbers as compared to some other guys, he wasn't like this absolutely you know, drop-dead Aaron Judge-type campaign. And maybe that's unfair, but... That's just the way it shook out. All right. Now, Mad Mike, who do you have? Uh, I think the MVP is Charlie Blackman, no question. I don't think it's going to be close at all. Uh, guy led the league in uh, batting average, hits. He was third in home runs, um, runs scored, and it wasn't, you know, by, by a pretty significant lead over uh, Stanton. Uh, I think it's his. I, I think what hurts him in the voters' eyes, uh, and, and maybe I'm off on it, but I just think people look at him as, as – you know, a leadoff hitter, so it hurts his, his value. But this guy uh, did everything you'd want a leadoff hitter to do, and then he did everything you'd want a number three, you, you know, a number three hitter in the lineup to do. So, it, to me, no question, uh, it's him. Uh, as far as uh, Cy Young goes, I'll give it to Max Scherzer. I just think that uh, I think that Kershaw's injury history, you know, catches up to him again. I just think he misses too many starts to uh, beat out Max Scherzer. And as far as Rookie of the Year goes, I think uh, because the Dodgers had such a historic season and I think because there was, you know, not as much competition in the NL for him, it, it goes to Cody Bellinger. Um, uh, his second half, Joe's right, he didn't make adjustments. He did strike out a ton. I don't think he's going to be able to avoid that because, uh, you know, it, it, his swing is, you know, his launch rates, his everything. It just it seems to me that... Uh, He's looking more to uh, pull the ball. He's looking more to, you know, hit 
fly balls, home runs. So we'll see. Uh, that's a, you know, a topic for another day. Uh, those would be my three uh, award winners. All right. Now, you know, for some news. The Mets picked up uh, the option on Asdrubal Cabrera, bringing him back next year. Your thoughts on that, Joe? You know, uh, all Cabrera had to do was say, I absolutely love the Mets. I want to be here forever. And they would have they would have not extended him. They wouldn't have picked up his option because that's how the Mets work. Instead, the guy says, I don't want to be here uh, midway through the season. And the Mets say, you know what? You can be here for one more season. Because that's a total, that's, that's a typical Met thing to do, right? It's just the opposite of everything what they should do. But uh, listen, it, I, it's a guy that can play second. He can play third. Um, you know, the fans love his passion. You know, he's had his injury troubles this year. He played hurt sometime this year. Uh, I mean, it's nothing that's going to move move the needle. Really, it's not going to help them win. But he's just a familiar face, and I think that's what the team is probably going to need next year. Uh, but, but again, it's it's nothing that's that's super helpful to them, at least not right now. And then they're they're such a hard team to gauge um, next year, given their health and given their lineup. So you see how it works think, out. Do you think that this is just another case of Sandy misreading the market? Uh, he, he he tends to make a lot of early decisions. He he adds on pay to the payroll, thinking that maybe guys have a lot more value. Take Jay Bruce into consideration last year. And then he, he gets stuck, uh, you know, I guess tying up money because he can't get guys traded or, or, or get what he wants, you know, wants for those guys. Yeah, and I think it was a small, a small market for Cabrera this year, especially, listen, the guy the guy did say he didn't want to be there, right? I mean, if they didn't, if the Mets, you know, you want to throw in if the Mets don't want to pick up my option, I don't want to be here, um, all this stuff. But, yeah, Sammy, Sammy Alderson's got a weird way of reading the market, of playing the market. Um especially with the Bruce stuff when he was traded. It was so weird how it went down. If the Yankees were interested, but, you know, they didn't want to pick up the money, which I'm not entirely buying because he could have slotted well into the DH spot. Um, yeah, I don't really know. Uh, and I don't I just don't know the inner workings of Alderson's mind. I just don't understand how he goes about business. It's It's very odd. Um, especially for a big market, you know, New York team. Let's not let's not get it twisted. I mean, they're still a New York team, right? And they, and they still should, in theory, have some money to spend. But yeah, we've seen it in the past with the way Sandy misreads the market. Um, it's a good free agent market. You're looking at some good players um, that could fit a Mets lineup, but it's 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 tough to say exactly what Cabrera's value will be, especially if they didn't pick up his option. I mean, it's so odd because, in my opinion, the Mets really don't show their fans a direction that they're trying to take. You know, they're not showing their fans if they're going to go with the youth movement, and they're not showing their fans if they're trying to win now. So, you know, it's it's odd, and I'm baffled by the way that they do things, but, you know, it's, it's not like they don't have the money to do it. So, do you think they're going to be aggressive uh, during the offseason, or do you think they're going to still, you know, do this youth thing where they just bring up guys from the minor leagues and just kind of be okay with getting their butts whipped, you know, on a night and night out basis. Although they do have a pretty decent, a pretty good, not decent, a pretty good pitching staff. You know, the only thing the Mets are aggressive at in October is booking their plans to go to Disney world, right? Because they're never in the playoffs. <laughs> and, and, and especially now you don't, I mean, maybe that's unfair because they go to a World Series a couple years ago, but listen, these are guys that they had free agents that they could have signed. 
they end up signing Cespedes because the Nationals were reportedly looking at him. It's not like they were aggressively after him wanting to keep him. And it's the same story. Uh, it's the same stuff at the trade deadline where there are guys to be had and the Mets just don't want to do anything. Um, I, I don't know what direction they're in. We obviously know a lot of their resources and time and, and all of this, the scouting and evaluation have all gone into the pitching staff. And you hope, if you're a Met fan, that they can stay healthy. But you still need position guys. Rosario looks like the real deal, potentially. You still don't feel that the, that the organization is really sold on Dominic Smith, which means at the end of the day, that revolving door at first base is just, you know. Would you be? I mean, the guy looks like he's been, you know, 50, 60 pounds since draft night. Yeah, I mean, the weight's obviously an issue, and they were open with it being an issue. You hope that a, a young kid shows enough drive and determination to head into November, you know, avoid the Chipotle's and the McDonald's and, and gets in shape for next year. But that's something that we'll find out once February rolls around, because if he's posting pictures in February on his Instagram of him, you know, slim down 30, 30 pounds, 40 pounds, but then come July, he's looking like he's been hitting up the, um, you pick two, uh, the Mick pick two menu. It's going to be a problem. And, and you got to question a, a guy's drive then, and his determination and, and playing first base, even though, you know, some people would argue it's the less strenuous, uh, one of the less strenuous positions to play on the field. But when you look at the athletic first baseman that are playing now and how valuable a good defensive first baseman that can move is or can be to a team, you know, you hope that he can put it all together and figure it out. But it's still early to tell. Now, before we let you go, Joe, one one last question, and this is dealing with the Yankees. Just want to know if you've gotten any word or heard any rumblings about who the Yankees are leaning towards, and do you think that, you know, them picking a manager, you think it's something that they're going to kind of wait, you know, and not make a haste decision, or do you think they're going to make it very soon so they can move forward? The biggest, uh, I guess a couple names that I've heard or I've read, um, I should say, Regularly have been Al Padrique, the AAA manager, uh, Scranton Wilk, uh, Scranton Wilkesbury, and Josh Paul, who's their short A season manager, um, who's got relationships with the players and he's credited a lot with the improvement of Gary Sanchez's defense. And he's got, he's young, he's 42 years old. So those are the two big names. I think I, there was a report out the other day that said, and it doesn't surprise me, that Cashman's list is 20 to 25 guys, which I think is. It seems like a lot, but it's smart. The sexy name right now and the name that seems to be picking up a lot of steam is Jerry Harrison Jr. He was the guy that was on the uh, on the Yankees in 2009. The uh, Brian Cashman absolutely loved him. Cashman wants a guy that he has a relationship with. He's good with players. He's a smart guy. He definitely would handle the New York media well. Um, he's got a good face for TV, which, listen, that matters in New York, whether anybody wants to admit it or not. Um and I, and I think that that's he's going to be a name that you're going to hear a lot, but it's still I think it's still a little early to tell. Uh, it's going to come when it, at, at a time nobody expects it. I think they're going to take their time with it, and that's a smart thing to do, especially when you're handing the keys over to uh, the Ferrari with these kids that, that are going to be here for some time. Um, they want to make the, they want to get the right guy now, rather than having to get you know an okay guy now and then worry about another decision in another three or four years. Hey, Joe, earlier this week, I actually heard Aaron Boone's name come up. Uh, you 
So uh, apparently he's a very good baseball mind. You know, his dad was was a baseball manager at one point. Um, He said that uh, the Yankees haven't contacted him, but he would most certainly be interested if they did. Yeah, that's an interesting name, uh, especially when you consider the video replay value of that 2003 home run, right? But, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's no end to the list here. I, I really, you, you're hearing guys all over the place. Uh, I mean, a name that I, I would like to hear, um, but the ships probably sailed is Willie Randolph. He was a guy that had his shot with the Mets, but for whatever reason, it didn't work out. He didn't win a division title. Uh, that year in 2007, uh, fired halfway through the year the next season. It, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, I think that he's 63 now, which is which is the thing. But he's been around the team. Obviously, a good guy to have around. He's kind of cut from that Joe Torre mold. You think that he would maybe get another shot managing, but he just never did. And, and I don't know what the reason is there. Maybe it's his... Maybe he's just not willing to accept the, the analytics, who knows. But there, there's that's a guy that I would like to see at least get a phone call um, to well, see what the interest level is. He might. I mean, Joe Espada left uh, the Yankees for the Houston Astros, and, and Joe Espada beat out Willie Randolph for the third base job, you know, some years ago. Maybe they go back to Willie. Yeah, and Espada was such a wild card, man, because apparently, you know, the players liked him, but, you know, his, he had some questionable sends this year, and... He's obviously had man. He's got bench coach experience in the past. So, yeah. I'd, again, I'd like to see Willie get at least the phone call. I think he's due. He's due and earned that much, even if he is a bit advanced in years. You don't want to call him call him old. I mean, he is sixty three, but I'd like to see him get a phone call. I just think it makes too much sense. I mean, I mean, does it become a a matter of who? Cashman likes or who's what you know what's best for the team because you would think it would want to be you know it should be what's best for the team and not so much who he likes. Here's the thing a lot of what the reports that you're reading why Girardi got fired is because he just didn't have a good relationship with his players and I, and I mentioned this on the podcast before that and it was it was apparent all year it started in spring training he called Clint Frazier's hair a distraction you know that that kind of he's a young player he's a young stud player. He called, he called out Gary Sanchez's defense halfway through the season. Um, this, when, when they needed him to play better, he probably just went home feeling worse. Uh, you're reading that a guy like Todd Frazier was kind of the middleman in communications between Dylan Batances and, and uh, Sanchez to Joe Girardi. So I think Cashman is looking for some familiarity there, which I, I don't really blame him because you don't want to start from square, square A with a brand new guy with these players that you're familiar with and you know they're going to be studs and stars. And, you know, it turns out in a year or two, he's not exactly what you were looking for. So I don't think it's unfair for Cashman to want a guy that he has familiarity with, but uh, it's going to be, it's again, it's going to be Cashman's guy. And, and I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I don't think it's really selfish, but if, it, if the sole determining factor is, oh, is he a Cashman guy or not, that could hurt the team, but I don't think it will. No, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I, I, I saw John Heyman put, the, you know, an article out there suggesting that, you know, I think it was Gary Sanchez and Dylan Batanzas, yeah, had to go through uh, Brett Gardner and Todd Frazier um, just to, to have a, a line of communication with Joe Girardi. Uh, and, and we did hear Joe say at times this year, actually, Rob Thompson you know, kind of served as their middleman and, and help with the communication. Don't you think uh, maybe that would make Rob Thompson uh, the favorite? 
You know, uh, Rob Thompson's an interesting name because apparently, listen, the Vegas odds have him pretty high right now. I think the Vegas odds actually might have him as a favorite. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it would be interesting. And again, it's a guy that you don't want to oversell it, but a manager can win or lose you 10 games throughout the course of the season. He's not going to factor into every single game. Um, we saw the case with Girardi where he might have lost them more than he won them, and I think that's an issue. But, yeah, if Rob Thompson's name is brought up, he's, he's obviously going to have a lot of consideration. He's got familiarity with the players. He's, he's well-liked in the clubhouse. Um, and it's funny we keep bringing that up because when you look at the Yankee staff, you don't really hear about a guy that was unliked by the players except Joe Girardi, which was a problem. Uh, you hear Tony Payne's name brought up all the time. Players love him. Uh, Rob Thompson's name brought up. Players love him. And even Espada. I mean, the players did love Joe Espada, too. So, And it seemed like Girardi was the only guy that the players didn't 100% support, which is a little odd, but... Yeah, I think Thompson's an interesting name to keep your eye, to keep an eye out for, but I don't think the next Yankee manager is actually on the Major League staff. I, I just don't see it. Well, it's going to be interesting to, to see what happens. And Joe, me and the Mad Mike would like to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to give us your, you know, your professional opinion and expertise opinion on baseball matters. And hopefully we'll be able to have you on the show again when they start dishing out some of these awards to these players. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care, Thanks Joe. Thanks again, Joe. And uh, how about those Jets? Yeah, that's another discussion for another day. And with that being said, that brings us to a conclusion of this show, listeners. Me and the Mad Mike would like to thank you guys for spending time with us. Thank you for supporting us because without you guys, there's no us. I would like to also thank the Mad Mike for taking time out of his busy schedule to call in. Me and Mad Mike would like to thank Joe Rivera, our guru, sports columnist from the Sporting News, for calling in to give his opinion on, on all the things that's baseball related. And we would like to thank our producer, A.O. Omar Baker, for doing his thing because he's the one that keeps the engine going and keeps us moving forward. So, A.O. Let's roll, baby! Yes, sir. Much thanks to Lloyd and Mad Mike once again for a great show. Thank you to Joe Rivera for calling in. And thank you for tuning in, listening, and sharing the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike show. Check it out, LloydAThompson.com and across all social media at Lloyd A. Thompson. Peace.